let's take a look at this. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. I think you'll, you'll see why in a second, why I'm, I'm just so excited about this. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Uh, if you're a person who likes to use your Bible like a textbook, that'd be a good thing to underline. We'll touch on that. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One of our confounding statements today. Verse 4, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So, it is everyone born of the Spirit. <laughs> how, can this, how can these things be? He asked Nicodemus. Are, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone Say everyone with me. Just say everyone. 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 So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Let's pray.
Father, I pray in these next few moments as we tackle a good chunk of John's account of your son's Jesus' life and teaching, particularly here in this section, I, I pray most of all that you'd prepare our hearts uh, to receive what it is that you would want us to not only believe, but put into the practice of our everyday rhythms for those of us who trust you and are leaning into daily learning what it means to submit all of life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And for all of us, would we get a picture of who Jesus truly is and what he came to do and the mission, Heavenly Father, that you wanted to accomplish in this world. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, today I want to attempt <laughs> to make something that both the professional theologian and the hobbyist theologian alike could spend countless numbers of hours talking about. This passage is so rich and it's so full of things that we could literally spend. I actually, I think uh, a local church here in the area had a whole series just on this phrase, what does it mean to be born again? They spent like weeks. <laughs> and we could do that literally, but we're not going to do that today. Hopefully we will be done by 11 o'clock. And um, that's, that's what I'm, I'm shooting for anyway. So now I don't say, uh, I don't say that I'm trying to make this simple because I'm putting down uh, anyone who wants to talk about the intricacies of the text, the, you know, the contextual and historical background or the theories of textual criticisms. In fact, uh, I spent most of my week looking at that information and, and I encourage you to do that. I think, I think it would make our time uh, that was spent here together more uh, meaningful to you if you, after hearing today, went back and maybe took a look at this passage of scripture a little bit more deeply. But from this one conversation with a conservative religious leader, an expert of what we call uh, in the Old Testament, the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, from this one conversation that Jesus has with, has with Nicodemus, come some of the most quoted words of Jesus. In fact, as I began reading some of those, I, I could see, and some of you I can visibly uh, see and, and audibly hear as we read John 3.16. I could hear the, mm. <laughs> I could I could see the, amen. Some of you, when I read that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, I saw some of you literally go, put, you close your eyes, and I, I could tell for you, that was truth. It was meaningful. And so from this passage of scripture comes such, I think just, uh, in, it's, 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 it's probably, arguably, one of the most clearest statements of the gospel. That there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing that God, that, uh, there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. Nothing you can do that will make God love you less. I got that wrong. Sorry, forgive me but that God loves you, right? He sent his son to die for you. I think, I think if, if you hear anything at all, that this is the clear message of what Jesus was trying to say. I, I don't, I, I'm beating this dead horse because this is really what this is, whole talk is all about. We could close the shop and just have you think about that all the day. But I know 
you paid lots of money to be here, so I will give you your money's worth. He didn't pay. There's no fee, by the way. Um, <laughs> but within this conversation is also evidence of things that are confounding both to people today, uh, read the commentaries, as well as those to whom Jesus was originally speaking to. As we can see, Nicodemus was at least at a minimum slightly confounded by what Jesus had to say in this conversation. And here are the statements that I want to take some time to address in the time we have with each other. And it's this, what did Jesus mean when he said, John 3, 3, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the first statement. The second statement is this, John 3, 5, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, before we talk about what Jesus meant when he said these things, I want to back things up first and foremost. So we'll put a pin on there to the beginning of John. Some of you who have read John will remember that in the beginning of John, he does uh, better than really any of the other gospel writers to establish this reality of what theologians call the incarnation of Christ, which literally means God made flesh, dwelt among us. In, in fact, 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory and if you're like, how does this, I don't see how this is Jesus. Listen, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Son of the Father, the Son of God? We know as what? Jesus. And so literally here, John begins his gospel by saying, of all the things you need to know about who Jesus is and what he has done, you need to understand this first before I tell you the story about Jesus. He was God in flesh, dwelt among us for the purpose that we would see. And if I would put it in our phraseology, that you would know and see clearly who God is. That you would see his glory, that you would understand who he is. Later on, we would find Jesus telling his disciples who were looking at him going, show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus would go, well, well, have you not seen me? You've seen the Father. And you can, you can read the rest of that and you can find out how. And so Jesus is, he incarnated so that we could understand who God is and what God wants to accomplish in this world. And the incarnation of Jesus required Jesus humbling himself to be God with us so he could accomplish God's mission of revealing the grace and truth of God. This is what he was talking about in this first chapter. And this is what the incarnation of Jesus means. Being made flesh to be with us and reveal God to us. The incarnation means Humbling yourself, being made flesh to be with a people that God is sending you to. And so when you read chapters 1 through 2, one of the ways that John portrays the incarnational life of Jesus is he describes and he really accounts a pattern of living, a way of living that Jesus has that caused wonder and amazement. In fact, you can read it. And, I mean, John doesn't waste any, he doesn't waste time for genealogies. He doesn't waste any time to tell you how Jesus was born. He just gets right to it. He just goes, boom, here we go. Jesus gets baptized, boom, wedding at Cana, boom, calling of disciples. Switch that other way around. 
calling the disciples, wedding at Cana. And then he does all these miracles and says later, and he does all these wonderful, amazing things. And so John is setting this precedent that this is Jesus, as he would tell you later in John 20. And he said, I have written these things that you, know, yeah, you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by, leave, by believing in him, you may have life through his name. This is the whole purpose of what John wrote. And so he doesn't waste any time, and he lets us know this. So, chapters 1 through 2, we have these amazing things about who Jesus is. And then we get here, and Nicodemus begins this conversation with Jesus. And he points as an opening statement of how to bridge the awkwardness of starting a conversation with someone for with whom your whole religious organization kind of frowns upon and is against. He starts it by pointing to the reputation of Jesus. That the fruits of Jesus' actions could only be explained by the reality of God in Jesus' life. That's why he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs. No one could do what you do unless God were with him. And so, like every good Jew, Nicodemus wanted to be part of God's kingdom. And if Jesus was from God, then Jesus was probably the best person to answer his question about what it would take to be sure you were part of God's kingdom. I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, if he's from God, you know, and as a God-fearing Jew, I want to I be sure that I'm sure that I'm sure. Like, who wants to know that, that you know, that you know that you're going to be part of God's kingdom? Like, yeah, he wanted to know. And so he obviously like, well, this guy's from God. I could probably, he's like a direct line. And I could ask him. He'd begin this conversation. Maybe I could find out the truth of what it means to inherit the kingdom of God. And so how does Jesus answer? <laughs> what does he say? Does he go, you know, why thank you for the compliment. Uh, yes, in fact, I, uh, I did come from God. And John will write about this later, but I'm God. Did he say that? Did he say, no, no. What did he say? What did he say? He said, truly I tell you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that would be weird. <laughs> that would be a weird way to respond to a compliment. If you didn't already know that John established just a few verses before we began chapter 3, uh, this fact, it says this in verse 25, no one needed to tell Jesus about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Okay, so just in case if you're like... <laughs> You know, if, if you're reading this, I don't know if you read the scriptures like with like everyday eyes. I do, and I, I go, and I go, that was kind of awkward, Jesus. Like someone gives you a compliment. I tell my kids you're supposed to say what? Thank you, right? So you don't go, hey, nice pants today. Well, it's nicer to be born again. And you can't go to heaven. I mean, that's, you just don't do that, okay? You just don't, we don't do that. But Jesus does. And it's not awkward because Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus? He already knew what Nicodemus was asking. Even as I say that, I wonder if for some of you, that idea that God knows your heart before you even ask it, I wonder if that would change the way you view God. I, that wasn't in my notes, but I just... I just wonder, for some of us, if you knew that God already knew what was in your heart and he still died for you, 
I wonder if that would change the way you view God. Jesus knew that Nicodemus wasn't trying to win friends and influence people by giving honest and sincere appreciation or making the other person feel important and doing it sincerely. I don't know how many of you read that book as, when you're, anyways, leadership, no one's read the book. Never mind. Forget I even gave that example. But Jesus knew that Nicodemus sincerely wanted to know what it would take to be assured that he was a part of God's kingdom. So Jesus told him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus' response to Jesus is one that Bible experts seem to have varying views about. Uh, some believe that Nicodemus understood Jesus uh, talking about spiritual rebirth. Okay? And in fact, one came, commentator gives his explanation to Nicodemus responding when Nicodemus said, how can anyone be born again when he is old by saying this? Uh, quote, perhaps... Um, I'm just reading directly from what they wrote. It goes, perhaps he meant, Nicodemus, how can a man whose habits and ways of thinking have been fixed by age expect a change radically? Physical rebirth is impossible, but is spiritual change any more feasible? And that's one way that many uh, Bible scholars think that Nicodemus is asking in this question. Uh, To put it in modern day terms, it's kind of the you know, the old thing that you've heard, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? And I just thought about this picture that reminds me of that kind of idea, right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Now, some scholars believe Nicodemus was, talk, was taking Jesus literally, and so he snapped back like anyone who <laughs> took what Jesus said about being born again literally, and, and you know, he basically went on a, uh, uh, like, this diatribe of, of saying, look, we have empirical evidence, Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, that old people can't be a baby again. And once the baby comes out, the baby stays out. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus. I just, you know, I respectfully, I just, I just want to let you know. And uh, now some of you are worried because like, what kind of picture is he going to put up with this? I couldn't find a, 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 an appropriate picture about a baby going back into a mother's womb. And so I thought an old man's face on a baby's body would do. So here you go. Um, all right, so, and that, and that face, that face that many of you are making, like right now, that face, that reaction, is the reaction Jesus had when Nicodemus said what he said. He was like, what, where'd you get that from? (laughs) This is why in verse seven, Jesus says, do not be amazed, or confounded that I told you you must be born again. It's also why he says what he says in verse 10. Are, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things, Jesus replied? So what is Jesus saying here? What does it mean to be born again? Well, Jesus says that being born again means being born of water and spirit. Now that doesn't make it any more clear, I think, if you just look at it at face value, but uh, let me just talk just for a second about what does Jesus mean by that. Uh, if, you, <clears throat> if you do uh, your own study on this, you'll know that most scholars agree that when Jesus referenced being born of water and spirit, Jesus was connecting with Nicodemus through a familiar scripture passage found in what we call the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. 
And so uh, he knew Nicodemus was an expert of not only the Old Testament law, but an, an expert of what people in the early church called the scriptures, which is really just, they didn't have the things that we have with the New Testament. When you said the scriptures in the early church, they knew it was the Old Testament. And Nicodemus was an expert of this. And Jesus, being a very scriptural person that he is, <laughs> used scripture to answer this question that Nicodemus had. And so he spoke very clearly a very popular passage in their time that many God-fearing Jews knew from Ezekiel, who uh, uh, in, this, in this passage of scripture was, was asked to speak on God's behalf of Israel regarding his desire for them. He says this in verse 25 of 36. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I've heard this word somewhere. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. Now, this is great. I don't know if you've knew about this connection. But in other words, Nicodemus would have clearly understood that Jesus was, what was saying about being born again meant a transformation in a way of living, being born of water, as well as a transformation of the heart, being born of the Spirit. This is, in definition, the kingdom of God. God's people living God's way with God's heart. This is the kingdom of God. This, of course, is not how the contemporary Jew understood the kingdom of God. The typical Jew believed that the kingdom of God was a new world order that God would powerfully bring through the destruction of their current oppressors. And so this, and on top of this, when Jesus says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, you know, this totally hit Nicodemus with just like, what are you saying? What are you saying? And, and the flesh is born of flesh. What you maybe not catch immediately is this, and, and commentators all agree that this, uh, one commentator says, says it this way, in effect, Jesus was telling Nicodemus that his descent from Abraham was not adequate ground for salvation. Just because your daddy was, just because you grew up in the church, just because you went to Awana, just because you were baptized as an infant, just because, just because, doesn't matter he would have to repent and begin a new life in the spirit if he's expected to enter the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. And this is why Nicodemus was so like, what? <laughs> what? It's in the Greek. What? <laughs> That's why in verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can these things be? Now, what happens in verses 11 through 21 is so familiar to all of us that it doesn't require much need of biblical commentaries and understanding of cultural and historical context to get the sense. I think this is why it's, this is a passage so popularly spoken and preached about and used in opportunities where you have to share your faith with people because it is so simple and true. It doesn't require a Bible degree to understand, for God so loved the world, Right? But aside from the illustration that Jesus gives about Moses and the children of Israel uh, being saved from the uh, 
bites of poisonous snakes they receive because of their disobedience from God. These verses are overwhelmingly clear. If you want more information about that, you can Google that. I, I don't mean that disrespectfully if you want me to tell you more about that situation, but we don't have time to talk about that. But what Jesus says here is so clear. John three sixty seven. I just want to read this again. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. My friend, that's good news if you ever did hear it. Here Jesus is revealing God's mission in the world. That the world through Jesus Christ might experience what it means to be born again. Okay. That is the best in the time that we have. I in the time we have, I can to explain kind of this passage. Uh, Like I said, if you want to go in deeper depth. There are tons of resources. We live in a post-information age. You do not need to go to Bible college or seminary to know all the information that's rolling around in my head. You can find it. Trust me. If you want information. But as one uh, pastor said, uh, America's problem is not that they uh, lack information uh, for holiness. For if information was to be the only requirement for holiness, uh, America would be heaven on earth. And so what we lack is not a, 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 a plethora of information, but we lack obedience <laughs> in this message that I heard. And so information isn't what we need to talk about. We need to talk about application. And I just want to take a few minutes here as we kind of close out to talk about, like, what would it mean for us to look at this and believe it to be true? And what would it mean for us who are followers of Christ? And, and, and maybe uh, if you don't know if you are one or if you have some questions or if you think you are one, but now you're not sure, like, I, I, I never thought about this idea of being born again. I think the obvious thing to do in response to what we just read is, I think for all of us to first ask the question, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, I, I think it's just a good thing to ask this question. Do I want to be part of the kingdom of God? I, I, I didn't say, do you want to be part of a church? I didn't say, do you want Christian friends? I didn't, didn't say, do you want to be part of a church that has good preaching and good worship and awesome small group systems with amazing children's ministry? I didn't say that. I, I didn't say, do you want to be part of a social circle that thinks like you, acts like you, votes like you? I didn't ask that. I asked, do you want to be part of the kingdom God? I ask myself, do I want to be part of the kingdom of God? If your answer is yes, then the next question would be, based on what Jesus said, is this. Have I been born again? Have you been born again? Have you? Has your conversion to Christ not only been a choice of repentance towards Christ, born of water, but also obedience to his will, born of the Spirit? How do I know? Well, Ezra tells us that when you're born of God's Spirit, he causes you to bear his fruit. 
Phil, Phil, I don't know if I've been born again. Let me ask you a question. When you look at your life, and you look at the outflow of your life, do you see just simple morality? Or do you see spiritual fruit? Galatians tells us, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. We all like those. And then he starts messing with us. Long-suffering. Oh, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is a law. And 1 Corinthians even defines for us what love is. This overflowing epic. Uh, ethic of the fruits of the Spirit. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep records of wrongs. Oh! <laughs> I don't know if I'm born again. And if that's the realization you come to, good for you that you're wrestling. Have I been born again? This is the question the old evangelist Billy Graham would yell out the top of his lungs to stadiums over and over again. Have you been born again? And I'm not trying to be Billy Graham at all, but I don't know. I think it's time for us to ask that question. Have you been born again? If you consider yourself someone who is born again, Last week, I ended our time together by suggesting that we all ask ourselves the question, do I really understand God's mission? I don't know if you remember that. Because bearing your cross starts with understanding God's mission. You can't bear God's cross until you know what kind of cross that is. And it's a cross that is defined in accomplishing the mission of God in your everyday lives. So we're coming back to this idea. Do you understand what God's mission is? Do you know what God is trying to accomplish? Do you know? It's John 3, 16. God so loved the world. What is he trying to do? God is trying to help people know who he is, what he wants to do, and what he has done on behalf of the person of Jesus Christ and give us a vision for what can be accomplished through our lives that are submitted to him. We could be the people who are not only part of God's kingdom, but we could be used by God to accomplish the, the mission of people being born again. So the question is this, if it's God's mission to restore and rescue and redeem the world through Jesus then how are you, how am I, who say we follow Christ living in ways that include the work of God that is already going on? How do we, how do we live our lives so that our rhythms are included in the work of God that is already being done so that the, that the mission of God could be accomplished in this world. How are we living our lives? I think that's the question sometimes we don't ask our lives. We have a lot of questions about like how we do our budget, how we're going to raise our kids, what school should we put them on. But when was the last time you asked, how are we aligning our lives so that the mission of God could be accomplished 
through our lives because God has a mission and he is accomplishing it. We get a choice to join Jesus on his mission. But that makes a choice. It means being born again. Have you been born again? Do you want to be born again? Because this this is what it means to be born again. A new way of living. A new heart after God's mission. And a new purpose for living life God's way. Do you want to be born again? Let me pray.